What's up, guys? Max here with another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Thanks for joining me after a long weekend. I was out yesterday, had a routine doctor's appointment. Thanks for everybody who followed up with me about that one. I'm all good. Um, We have, oh my gosh, today is the day. Today is the day that we finally get to talk about the transgender ban in the military because it's been repealed, lifted, and frankly, we're going to talk about was calling it a transgender ban even the right thing to do? Okay, it's way, there's way more to the story than meets the eye. There's way more to talk about. We got to get all into it and uh, and start hashing out and unpacking the details there. We've got a story about a VA doctor been sentenced to prison for his actions. We got a story about the Taliban. We're going to follow up on a couple stories regarding special operations. Two, in fact, we've got a, a one about coming out of Fort Bliss that I'm going to, I need to follow up on some more and get some more information, but it's totally insane. Uh, so what's up to everybody in the chat? What's up, Justin? What's up, Earl? What's up, Blue Line? Thanks guys for being here. Uh, I don't see any reason to um, delay much longer except to say I'm excited for this week. We hit 800 subscribers on YouTube. We hit over 800 subscribers on Instagram because I think some people thought I meant Instagram. So I was getting like four accounts from the same person following me on uh, Instagram, which was awesome. What's up, Scotty? Welcome to the chat. Um, so we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to unpack, a lot to go over. And as always, we're going to be running out of time before we even know what's happening. So let's get right into the first story here because this one hits close to home. Um, it is about this VA doctor, Robert Morris Levy, who I covered on the show a little while ago, but, um, he's been sentenced to 20 years in prison. And the story here of what's going on with this guy is pretty freaking nuts. If you ask me. So uh, you see him on the screen here. He looks pretty much like a train wreck uh, mixed with a plane crash and uh, a bottle of, you know, Mad Dog 2020. And that might be what it actually is because look here, we got a former pathologist at an Arkansas Veterans Hospital has been sentenced to 20 years. That's a long time. In federal prison after pleading guilty last year to involuntary manslaughter. This guy killed people. In the death of a patient he misdiagnosed, Robert Morris Levy of Fayetteville was sentenced Friday in federal court. Now, I have reported on this guy before, so if you remember this story, it's pretty out of control with, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, negligence, uh, malpractice, the whole nine. If you guys want to know a really crazy story of what's possible in the medical world as as far as what can go wrong and why you should you know, trust, but verify with your doctors of the kind of treatment that you're getting. Listen to a podcast called Dr. Death. My wife got me on this one. We listened to it on a long car ride. First of all, extraordinarily well-produced. It's one of those, it's like making a murderer where every episode ends and you want to click the next one to get started. But it's important to know that these types of things are possible because if you just go blindly trusting, you know, someone because they're a doctor and, uh, and not following up, not asking questions, who knows where you might end up, especially if you're a veteran and you're in the VA system, and we have covered many stories as to how that can go for you, especially with exposure to toxic elements, un, unclean, unhealthy climates, things like that. So Levy diagnosed a patient with lymphoma when the patient actually had small cell carcinoma. So those are two types of uh, uh, malignant cancers that this person would have had. But you know, that would have been a mistake, maybe malpractice, but it gets worse because Levy falsified the patient's medical record to state that the second pathologist agreed with his diagnosis and the patient died. So he misdiagnosed, it looks like he misdiagnosed the patient. And then in an attempt to make it seem like anybody could have made this mistake, or maybe that uh, it was a, a proper, you know, pathology report, he frauds, he, he commits fraud by saying another pathologist agreed with him. And the patient died. Imagine being the patient or the family. I'd be, I'd be out for justice. I'll tell you that. So he says, Levy says, I'm angry with myself and it just penetrates the surface of how I became this man. My plan going forward is to continue the alcohol rehabilitation community to get the best long-term therapeutic strategy. Basically, he's saying he's going to go to like AA in prison, but he is going to prison for 20 years. You know, maybe this will be a, a story of, you know, he takes this, you know, horrible thing that happened and turns it into somehow, you know, giving some good back to the world, but you can't bring this person back or one of the thousands of other patients he misdiagnosed. So Levy also pleaded guilty to one count of mail fraud for receiving two methyl, two butanol, a chemical that he used to intoxicate himself, but the standard drug and alcohol screens don't test for. So I remember this, he was, he was taking drugs that were like a, a, a concoction that's not, 
um, detectable on drug tests. He was mixing out with alcohol, coming to work drunk, um, and just, you know, treating patients at the VA healthcare system in the Ozarks. VA officials have said that outside pathologists reviewed nearly 34,000 cases handled by Levy and found more than 3,000 errors or misdiagnoses dating back to 2005. Levy has acknowledged that he once showed up to work at the VA healthcare system drunk in 2016, but denied he had worked while impaired, although I personally find that a little bit hard to believe. And he uh, has been going to rehab and trying to get sober and doing random drug testing, but the damage is done. And uh, the sentence has been handed down and he's going to prison. So what do you guys think? Do you think he deserves 20 years for what he did? If I do some quick math here, in 13 years, he handled 34,000 cases, which means he was doing about uh, 3,000 cases a day or about, I'm sorry, 3,000 cases a year or about, you know, eight per day. So eight cases a day he's reviewing um, as a pathologist. And that's if you include 365 days a year. Of course, he's going to have weekends off. He's going to have holidays off. He's going to be working some weekends probably on call or whatever. So he's probably working, you know, more like 250 days a year. So he's probably doing 15 15 cases a day. Um, so he certainly had a big workload. Maybe the workload made him succumb to the pressure and he had to drink to deal with the pressure or whatever the situation was. It frankly doesn't matter too much because someone's dead. A veteran is dead. Somebody who trusted the VA healthcare system is dead because he did not uh, do his job correctly. And frankly, what I think is the crime here more than, you know, the obvious crime, but I think what, you know, the bad choice that he made was he should have known he was not able to do his job any longer. And he didn't tell anybody he couldn't like the real, the real ethical moral thing here that went wrong was he knew what he was doing was wrong for a long time and didn't seek treatment and continue to do his job impaired. And, uh, and I think that's, that's what really went wrong here. Um, if we could teach, have a teachable moment, it would be if you feel like you're not doing your job correctly anymore because you have a drug or alcohol problem, have the honor, courage, and commitment to uh, walk away and you know admit that you need help and go seek counseling or whatever it is um, before you cost somebody else their life. And that applies to any job in the military because, as you know, we trust each other and our ability to do our job correctly uh, in life and death situations every day. And you certainly can't do that drunk or high. So... Um, that's that story. I thought that was pretty crazy. Let's see. Uh, Justin says they don't do random breathalyzers getting to work at the hospital like they do at other quarter decks. Um, I don't think so, especially not for civilians. Uh, like at the VA hospital, that's a, uh, uh, all civilian, um, an all civilian, uh, uh, office, right? So the VA hospital is run by civilians. It's a civilian department. They have civilian doctors, maybe military doctors volunteer or moonlight there, but it's all civilian ran. So, um, he may have gotten a 20 year sentence, but the family he affected got a life sentence from Scotty. That's always the case when, you know, you're talking about manslaughter, which we have another manslaughter case we're going to talk about here and it's a follow-up, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult because, you know, that's why I say, and I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if this is a completely flushed out idea, but I always say, you know, juries should determine guilt and victims should determine sentencing because there's plenty of victims out there who, you know, would love to give leniency to the people who've given them, uh, who've harmed them. And there's plenty out there who would love to see them put away for life after a heinous crime, like rape, murder, manslaughter, you know, battery leading to somebody being paralyzed or brain damage or something like that, you know? Um, so I don't know. I have to, I sit and think about that sometimes if I really believe that, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely true that, if you are in a, let's say DUI, manslaughter DUI or something like that, and you get, you know, 10 years, 15 years, it doesn't change the fact that somebody lost their life and the family has to live with that for the rest of theirs. Um, and it's not like your t quality of life is ever going to be great after you do a felony prison sentence or something like that for 15 years. You, it's tough to come back from that. So we've got, okay, this next story is deeply personal to me. Um, deeply personal. I read this and I was like, Man, I've been there. I've been this person and it was extraordinarily difficult and I can put myself in the shoes of the people who are out there involved in this and it is rough and it's really an I told you so moment. So I'm teasing this probably way too long. Let's get right to the story here. You guys have heard me talk about it before. Detainee ops, detainee ops, detainee operations, working with detained personnel. So Stars and Stripes reports here. I can't believe I have to read this out loud and act like 
uh, I'm surprised, is Taliban prisoners released under peace deal arrested after rejoining the fight, officials say. So Taliban prisoners released under peace deal, which is part of the uh, probably the ceasefire, the 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 um, peace talks that have been happening between the Taliban, the United States and Afghanistan. So what they show here is Taliban prisoners lined up at Bagram Bagram prison before being released on May 26, 2020 um, is the picture that you're seeing here. And this looks uh, exactly uh, like how you would find people dressed in Afghanistan, especially if they were detainees um, coming out of detention, they would have their one um, outfit, their, uh, their robes and their, um, I forget what the name of their prayer hat, prayer cap is, I guess prayer caps and a fine term for it, but, um, they're being released back into, uh, Afghanistan on, on maybe their own, um, uh, competency, which, um, I, I'll tell you my personal thoughts on in a minute. And it's probably going to get pretty heated. Hundreds of Taliban prisoners released under last year's U S Taliban peace deal have been arrested after returning to the battlefield. The Afghan military expects the insurgents to intensify attacks as the year progresses. National Security Advisor Hamdullah Mohib, there you go, first name of the day uh, that I probably totally messed up, also told reporters Sunday, we have uh, recaptured 600 of the freed individuals because they were fighting alongside the Taliban, even though they promised they would not fight again. (laughs) Even though they promised, how can that be? Other released prisoners were involved in making car bombs and planning attacks on security forces, Mohib said, citing intelligence reports. Over 5,000 Taliban prisoners were released last year in exchange for 1,000 Afghan security force personnel captured by the guerrillas. The prisoner exchange, which was part of the U.S. Taliban deal struck last February, was a precursor for the ongoing peace talks between insurgents and the Afghan government. Um, let me let me stop here for a minute uh, before I finish the article and just kind of go right into... Um, my thoughts on this. Let me, let me address the camera really quick. Let me, let me talk right to you guys. Let me tell you, and I am not bullshitting you. I have been there personally. I have been there at the gate, letting Taliban fighters out into Afghanistan from the detention center who have looked me right in the face, spit in my face, and then said, first chance they get, they're going to kill Americans. I've been there. I've done that. And then I let them go. Okay? I've done that job. Now, um, that was in 2009 uh, when I was in Afghanistan doing my detainee ops deployment. Part of the reason why I said that was the hardest deployment I've ever done, um, it's just one of the many reasons. Frankly, it is a, it is, um, it's a no-duh like told you so moment where uh, you can't expect these people to these people to change uh, just after being detained. It probably makes them worse. Now I understand this particular prisoner release was part of a prisoner exchange, but I'm telling you from my own personal experience, uh, we have released detainees. For one reason or another, due process, um, and I'll just leave it there, um, back into Afghanistan, who swore, didn't swear they weren't going to fight again, swore they would, and just let them right back out. Um, It's extraordinarily difficult uh, to put into words what that moment feels like being there, Um, but looking at this picture right now brings back a lot of memories of what those moments were like. I've worked at the Bagram uh, prison, both the new one and the old one. And, uh, and I've done that job. And so seeing this and, and hearing um, recaptured, it's a real, uh, yeah, no shit Sherlock moment because it's, it's obviously what's going to happen. Um, and so let me go back to the article here and kind of finish with this, what the story is. The Kabul government, which did not participate in talks leading up to the agreement, was initially hesitant to free the prisoners, smart of them. By the way, um, the Afghani prison on Bagram was turned over to Afghanis completely in 2011, I believe. So it was completely ran by Afghans without American uh, bilateral assistance. Intensified combat in southern Afghanistan is a direct result of the prisoners being released, Afghan Army Chief of Staff General Yasin Sia said Sunday. Mohib, who attended a security meeting, did not specify how many former prisoners besides those rearrested are believed to have rejoined the insurgency. All of the released prisoners signed a pledge that they would no longer fight which means nothing to them. Many of them, I'm sure, don't even know how to read or write, and they just kind of made their mark. Uh, It's very, very, very common to have people detained who 
are, you know, they're Taliban, but they have been totally um, influenced by the leadership of the Taliban who will roll through, grab a bunch of villagers, tell them a bunch of lies about what's going on in the world and what's going on with America, and then just tell them to go fight and, uh, and you know, inspire them that the Taliban is this great organization that they must join. And alternatively, there's a lot of Taliban out there who have had their hand forced through violence, threats of death, kidnapping family, saying that they'll kill your family if they don't attack Americans. All of that's out there too. And then there's some diehard, you know, Taliban um, members, uh, uh supporters, sympathizers who will go out there and fight just because they believe in that cause. And you have, I'm sure, a mix here. 600 have been recaptured. Only about 40 of the men are back in government custody, and most of those were seized during raids on their homes and are innocent. Um, So I think what he's saying here, um, Taliban officials insist none of the former detainees have returned to combat and rejected the claim that 600 have been recaptured. Only about 40 of the men are back in government custody, and most of those seized during raids on their homes are innocent. So that's a spokesman from the Taliban who gave that uh, message to Stars and Stripes. So I would just say take that with a grain of salt uh, when you're getting your information from the Taliban about their own troops, um, their own combatants is probably, and I'm going to say 100% uh, BS. Insurgents have continued to conduct attacks across Afghanistan despite the agreement with the U.S., the start of peace talks with the government in September, and repeated calls for ceasefire from Washington and Kabul. So... uh, it is, it is uh, pretty obvious that um, they are, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you, 100% there are captured detainees that we release back or that Afghanistan is releasing back. We're just going to go fight again. Um, there's no question. It's not even, it's not even a debate. It's a, just a fact of the matter um, as far as I am concerned, as far as you should be concerned, if you uh, trust my word for anything. So a quick update on a couple things. Um, here, you guys have been quiet in the chat. I'd love to see some more comments and questions about what you guys think about this, but I have to get through these next stories by the, by the half hour here so I can talk about the transgender, uh, law reversal. Now we just have reported on the death of Logan Melgar, the, uh, Green Beret in Africa who was strangled to death in some kind of, um, confusing event that everyone pleaded guilty to for a plea deal to get a lesser sentence. Um, yeah, so Christian says, wait, information from the Taliban isn't reliable. Yeah, would you believe it that um, that it might not be? So um, the SEAL who uh, killed or was involved in the death of Logan Melgar was sentenced to 10 years. So a Navy SEAL who pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter and the hazing death of Green Beret Staff Sergeant while deployed to Africa has been sentenced to 10 years in prison. Forfeiture of pay, reduction to E1 and dishonorable discharge. Forfeiture of pay is almost like a, it's like a, uh, um, formality, but reduction to E1 and dishonorable discharge is really, really bad. Uh, famously, you know, you probably have heard if you get a dishonorable discharge, you can't even get a job at McDonald's. Well, it's really true. It's one of the risks you take when joining the military is if you somehow manage to blow that bad enough to get a dishonorable discharge, your life is going to suck. Um, so chief, uh, warfare, special warfare operator, Tony Didoff, who we talked about in depth on an episode a couple weeks ago, uh, pled guilty earlier this month rather than going to trial out of that plea deal, and he was given 10 years. How long of that 10 years he'll serve? Um, we don't know yet if there's any um, parole information. I don't see any of that on here. Now, there's one person left here, Gunnery Sergeant Mario Madera Rodriguez. He's scheduled to be tried on February 1st, facing felony murder charges along with conspiracy, obstruction of justice, assault, hazing, and burglary. He could face a life sentence. Now, what's interesting about him going to trial rather than accepting a plea deal, is we have no idea what facts are going to come out at that trial. So because he didn't take a plea deal, so the guys who took the plea deal, they pled guilty. They didn't have to go to trial. No further facts or, you know, investigation came out of that. They didn't bring witnesses to the stand and, you know, evidence and all this stuff. He just pled guilty and that's it. Now, this other guy, the Marine, is going to go to trial. So the prosecutors and the defense... I'm sure we're going to go to great lengths to tell the story of what happened there. So because of this trial, we might actually find out as close as we can as to what really happened that, uh, that night with those guys. If it was just a hazing gone wrong, which you guys already know where I stand with that. If you listen to the show, if not go back and listen to the old episode or YouTube video, uh, about that. So it's, uh, it's still, I'm still, uh, going to continue to cover that as we go on because, I think I want to know. Do you guys want to know? Let me know in the comments if you want to get to the bottom of what really happened in that hotel room, 
in, uh, in Africa a few years ago and, and why Logan Melgar had to die. Um, cause I certainly do now here's another one. This one's deeply upsetting to me. Um, because, okay, hold on a second. So Justin says, does it mention if he keeps his warfare device? Do you know how the Navy SEAL Foundation would handle dishonorably discharged SEALs? Um, he'll probably lose his, um, his trident. But um, I, I don't think that just because he's dishonorably discharged or has faced court-martial, that is the cause for him to lose his trident. I still believe his trident needs to be removed by um, Naval Special Warfare. They have to remove his NEC, basically, right? So, like... I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. If anybody in, in the chat knows better than this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but losing your trident means you would have your NEC revoked. So your NEC can get revoked for any number of reasons. Uh, obviously there's a, there's a broad, broad spectrum, but, um, if he gets his NEC revoked by the, um, uh, by the community, right. By, by Naval Special Warfare Group or Naval Special Warfare Center, then yeah, he would lose his Trident for that and he would probably have to face the Trident review. He'd probably not have to face the Trident review board. They would probably just do it. I am, my imagination tells me they would do it, um, but we'll see, I guess. And if I find out any more about that or if anybody can correct me in the chat, uh, let me know. So yes, I will continue to follow that story as the trial starts uh, next week. That's quite interesting. Maybe I can um, C-SPAN it for you guys and live stream the trial. Uh, we'll see. It's like some OJ shit over here. Um, so look, last about a year ago, almost a year ago, we did a podcast with a guy named Aaron Vanderbeck. Um, Aaron Vanderbeck was a MARSOC Raider who got out of the Marines. That's their Marine Special Operations Command team uh, title, Raiders. And they're a very new community, and they've been plagued with judicial issues, uh, disciplinary issues, good order and discipline type stuff. Um, but a lot of that's been not that the members have been doing wrong. It's that the chain of command has been, you know, screwing people over. In a lot of instances, there's been MARSOC Raiders who faced unjust punishment. There's a history of this. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast. I recommend you go listen to that whole thing. I'm not going to go dive back into it. But this, he came on the show to talk about the MARSOC 3. Three Marine Raiders who were facing charges of manslaughter over an event in northern Iraq in 2017, I believe. Uh, maybe 2018. Um, I will, let me verify the date on that. It's been a couple of years now, but, um, it is pretty bogus. It's been, uh, debunked as far as, you know, uh, what they've been accused of versus what their story is by video evidence. And they're still facing trial, even though the, uh, the theory was that the current general in charge of MARSOC, who was, uh, general Yoon, I believe, was transferring out of MARSOC and that this would kind of fizzle after his departure, but it seems like it has not. And so they're about to go to trial. So here's a little update on the MARSOC 3 who are about to go on trial at Camp Lejeune. Two Marine Raiders and a Navy corpsman from 3rd Marine Raider Battalion facing charges that include involuntary manslaughter and negligent homicide have new trial dates, and uh, that's coming out of Comstrat. It says the news of the trial dates was reported to the UAP, the United American Patriots, who Aaron Vanderbeck was partnering with in his ride across the country to raise awareness about this. Um, UAP is a nonprofit who raises awareness about uh, uh, service members who have been locked up for crimes in the capacity of war crimes, generally, uh, who they believe have been wrongly imprisoned or wrongly charged. So, UAP called the case one of the biggest military injustices in modern American history. First reported on January 1st that the trials for the MARSOC 3 scheduled for 2020 are now on, top, on tap for March and April of this year. The charges, which include obstruction of justice and violating orders, stem from an incident that occurred at a club in Iraq in the early morning hours of New Year's Day 2019. So this happened in 2018, 2019, like January 1st, when a fiscal altercation allegedly instigated by an inebriated defense contractor ended in a one-punch blow from a Marine that rendered the contractor unconscious. According to a report from Todd South of Marine Corps Times, the punch landed by the Marine intended to defend his fellow Marine led to eventual death of the contractor identified as Rick Anthony Lopez, or I'm sorry, Rick Anthony Rodriguez, a former Army Special Forces soldier. Uh, citing information from the trial's preliminary hearing per one of the Marines' attorneys, South wrote that the MARSOC 3 took Rodriguez back to their base following the blow to ensure he was all right. Later that morning, Rodriguez was taken to a medical facility, but he could not be resuscitated. 
Gunnery Sergeant Joshua Negron, Gunnery Sergeant Daniel Dreyer, and Chief Petty Officer Eric Gilmet are the three U.S. service members facing charges. Negron has been identified as the one who landed the knockout punch, according to Marine Corps Times and MARSOC. So they don't um, dispute that this happened, and the video shows that the contractor was the first one to initiate the fight and kind of wouldn't leave these guys alone. Then they take him back to the base. They try to give, they, they stand a watch with him to make sure he's okay. When he goes into distress, they get him to the hospital, they get him medical care. They did everything they could for this guy who was acting like an asshole in the first place. So UAP um, is showing their support for this team, the MARSOC three uh, to try to get them some, some, um, awareness raised and get them some support legally and, and financially to defend themselves. So according to the UAP, the MARSOC commander, Major General Daniel Yu, removed the three from their positions and suspended their security clearances, special duty pays, and promotions. Gil Metz court, mars- court marshal was the sailor is March 1 through 19. Dreyer and Negrones is April 6th, 30th, both at Camp Lejeune. Overseeing the cases is a military judge detailed to each of the cases by the senior judge of the Eastern Judicial Circuit of the Navy Marine Corps Trial Judiciary and Court Martial Panel panel members, which is a jury. Um, A feature documentary called MARSOC 3, The Journey of Innocence, is reportedly in the making, so I will keep you guys up to date if I get any news on the documentary, but I'm following this story closely. I've been following it for the last year, and uh, if I hear anything, you'll be the first to know on the Scuttlebutt Show. Hey, Saifi, what's up? Skills, what's up? Scotty, thanks for the feedback uh, that only a council of SEALs can remove your trident. Is, he's most likely going to lose it. So that would be a, a trident review board, right? That's what that's called. Um, but but am I right that that means he would lose his NEC and that's why he loses his pin, right? They go hand in hand. You get the SEAL trident when you get the NEC for special operator. And then if you lose that, you lose your rate, you lose um, your pin and you lose your NECs. Uh, and they kind of go, it's kind of like the, the back side. It's like the, the front end is the pin. The back end is the uh, the NEC coding and all that stuff that the Navy actually puts in your service record and stuff. Um, thank you. Okay, so cool. Um, so Saifi says, I definitely want to hear more about that Raider story. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk more about it. If you want to know more about the MARSOC 3, go check out our YouTube channel or podcast and look up our episode with Aaron Vanderbeck. Uh, and it's called Aaron Vanderbeck, the Marsoc three, look that up and you'll find the whole story. I'm not, I don't have time to go into it today. Um, go Saifi, go look up the podcast and uh, I'd love to hear what you think after watching. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it on, on any streaming podcast site. So really quick, um, we're pretty much on schedule here because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the transgender thing. I have a lot of thoughts on it and I've been waiting. I've been waiting to talk about it. I'm excited to talk about it. We have some news. We have some traction. Changes are happening. I'm excited to give you guys my thoughts. You might be surprised what I think. Um, Fort Bliss soldier. Here's just an interesting one. You know, I love to report when a, a crazy military criminal minds type story comes out of the army, right? So Fort Bliss soldier charged with two counts of murder and laundry list of other offenses. More than a dozen charges against this guy. So I don't have more, much more information than this, but I just want to get this one out there so I, I can keep covering it. Um, for a Fort Bliss soldier's court-martial begins on Monday for a laundry list of offenses, including two counts of murder and eight counts of assault. PFC Luis A. Morales Sanchez, 24, has been charged with two counts of murder, eight counts of assault, two counts of wrongful use, possession of a controlled substance, four counts of willfully disobeying a superior officer, two counts of obstructing justice, two counts of attempting to violate a military protective order, one count of making a false statement, one count of stalking, one count of reckless endangerment, and two counts of adultery. Can you say PFC Tony Montana instead? This this dude's straight Scarface over here in the Army. The soldier was arraigned before a military judge in June. Former Division Commander Brigadier General Matthew Eichberg personally ordered the referral of charges against Morales Sanchez to a general court-martial in May 2020. General court-martial being the highest level of court-martial, by the way. You might think it's special court-martial or something like that, but it a general court-martial is the highest level of court-martial one can be um, subjected to, including that's where you can get sentences like death penalty and life in prison. Morales Sanchez's attorney was not immediately available for comment. Lieutenant Colonel Allie Payne, who I feel like we've read her name as a representative, uh, as a spokesperson before, said the charge sheet detailing Morales Sanchez's alleged offenses was not yet available for public release. He was a Motor T, this is straight out of Motor T, <laughs> assigned a 3501st Assault Battalion, 1st Armored Division Combat Aviation Brigade, joined the Army in March 2017. Fort Bliss was his first duty station. The Army, dude, you know, 
the new SecDef uh, had made a statement about how the Army just has to do better with sexual assault. This sounds like it could be potentially a, a sexual assault type case or a, a you know a, a relationship gone wrong type thing. Um, I'm just speculating here to be clear, but uh, I do want to get more information about this. This looks like it could have been an episode of NCIS or like the RV's version of uh, NCIS, um, which I guess would be like JAG or whatever. Is that right? Correct me in the comments. Light me up in the comments if that's wrong. Um, so, wow, that's crazy. So that story is totally out of control and I can't wait to cover more of that for you guys. Just put that on your radar or something we're going to be talking about in the future. Um, that's a big one. That's crazy. Uh, so Scotty said, dang, this guy went big. He did. He went for every crime. You know, if you're going to do murder, if murder's on your list of crimes, you might as well do every other crime too because you've already done the worst one. So you might as well just, you know, murder... And then just run, run the gamut. Do every crime. Saifi says, man had fun. I, yeah, he did. I can't wait to see more about this. That's crazy. Saifi says he took the assault battalion to a different... That's fucked up, dude. <laughs> Saifi says he took the assault battalion to a whole different level. Um, look, this story is a tragedy for somebody. Uh, it's nothing to joke about. Um, so I do want to be serious about the fact that there's some you know major... Uh, tragedy for a lot of families out there. There's a lot of victims. So I'm, you know, I'm always on the side of the victim. I, I, there's two counts of murder here. So there's two people killed. Um, so without further information, it's hard to get too serious about what's going on here um, without more information. But, you know, because I don't know what the facts are. I don't know what's going to end up coming out about this. It could be like a drug ring gone wrong and like they were all dealing drugs and they had a shootout or something like that. I don't know. Um, but we'll see. We will see. Uh, it's fine to, you know, no, no, it's fine. It's fine to joke. It doesn't seem disrespectful. I know we, you know, we joke on the show a lot, but um, I just want you guys to know, uh, to remember that with each of these stories about somebody getting killed, somebody getting sexual, sexually assaulted, stalked, all this stuff, there are victims out there too, right? So it's important not to lose sight of the fact that there are victims to these stories. We cover them on the news. We talk about it. We chat about it, but it's important to remember that there are real people out there. Um, that's my only point. Scotty says, Motor T murder, new Netflix show. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, dude. A four a four part series about this one. I I see. I feel like that could be you know coming soon. Justin says Jag is all branches. Okay, I think so too. That's what I was getting. I think Jag is Judge Advocate General applies to all branches. Uh, they all use that term. So new president, first week, right? We're about to hit a week, um, and a lot's changed, including reversing the. Uh, laws that went into effect regarding trans personnel, transgender personnel in the military. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, and I want to start with this. I don't think the phrase transgender ban was ever the right phrase, okay? Because there was not technically a ban on being transgender and serving in the military. Um, you couldn't enlist if you had gender dysphoria diagnosed and you couldn't enlist if you had started a sex change and you couldn't go through a sex change while you were in the military. I think it was something like that. But there was no actual law about if you claim to be transgender, excuse me, if you claim to be transgender being disqualified from military service, it was the diagnosis of gender dysphoria that disqualified people from military service. Now, it's worth saying along with that, I did a quick bit of research um, before the show before the show started on um, disqualifying medical conditions. You, you can't have anything wrong with you to join the military. You have to be really healthy. Anything medically diagnosed that you join the military with has to get a waiver. And some things are disqualifying, including almost like every mental health disorder. And I've talked about this before on the show about how I, my whole enlistment process got held up because when I was a kid, I, my parents took me to a divorce counselor when they got divorced. And 10 years later, we had to track down this therapist who thankfully was still available to make a statement saying that I was like mentally fit to join the military. So they take that stuff very seriously. There is nothing new here. Um, and so let's cover this article from task and purpose really quick. And, uh, and, and I'm going to get into all the different things that I think about transgender uh, service members and, and where I stand with this. And I want to hear from you guys too. So let me know in the comments where you stand. I'd like to hear 
um, thoughtfully crafted positions, okay? No, yes, I'd like to hear more than that, okay? Give me more than that. Give me what you really think. So Biden drops Trump-era ban on transgender troops. Um, President Joe Biden has made good on his promise to end the Pentagon's ban on certain transgender individuals joining the military. Biden issued an executive order on Monday that reverses the Defense Department's transgender policy. This had prevented people with the diagnosis of gender dysphoria from becoming enlisted service members or officers unless they had been medically stable for 36 months and had not begun medical treatments to transition to a new gender. So it wasn't, it's, it's way oversimplifying. It's called a transgender ban. President Biden believes that gender identity should not be a bar to military service and that America's strength is founded on diversity. That's a statement out of the White House. This question of how to enable all qualified Americans to serve in the military is easily answered by recognizing our core values. America is stronger at home and around the world when it is inclusive. The military is no exception. Allowing all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform is better for the military and better for the country because an inclusive force is more effective force. Simply put, it's the right thing to do in his international interest. During his January 19th confirmation hearing, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who we've covered on the show a bunch of times, said he supports Biden's intention to overturn the transgender ban. He said, I truly believe, speaking to a senator, that as I said in my opening statement, that if you are fit and you're qualified to serve and you can maintain the standards, you should be allowed to serve. In anticipation of Biden's announcement, an advocacy group for gay, lesbian, and transgender service members issued a statement on Monday praising the president's executive order. Reversing this ban is a victory for all Americans. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Bree Fram, Vice President of Service Members, Partners, Allies for Respect and Tolerance for All said in a statement, President Biden has been given the gift of opportunity to thousands of individuals who will use it to serve the country they love. Okay, let me take a break here for a second and talk to you guys. <clears throat> so, so I, where do I even want to begin? Transgender service members in the military. Let me start out by saying I am not against it. Okay, so just so you know, I am not against it at all, period. We're going to cover anecdotally. Why? And we're going to cover some other examples of, you know, one famous service member who's transgender who kind of debunks almost all of the arguments against letting transgender people serve. But the idea that what a psychiatrist or psychologist, mental health professional would describe as a mental health condition being something that you would have to get a waiver for or that could be disqualifying for military service is not outrageous by any means. It's the standard. It's normal. The question should be, if we're going to say that gender dysphoria is not disqualifying, we should take a look at, is gender dysphoria a mental health condition uh, at all? Or is it just a normal way to be, like being like an emotional type thing, you know? Um, is, it an, is, it, is it an acceptable, normal way to think and feel? Or is it a mental health condition? Because currently it's a condition. You get diagnosed with it. Part of the process of changing genders is being diagnosed gender dysphoric, um, if that's the right way to phrase that. Um, so, oh my God. Oh my God. Hang on a second here, you guys, before I get back to this. Somebody named Thank You has donated $25. Hang on, I'm, 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 I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I got to take this, sit with it for a second. $25. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that means a lot to me. That's going to go right back to making the show the best military YouTube channel that exists on the internet today. Um, and I appreciate that so much. That means the world to me. I hope that I continue to do a good job and, uh, and keep you watching and get you engaged in the chat here. Uh, wow. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm very humbled by that and I appreciate it. And thank you. That means, that means a whole lot to me. Thank you so much. Um, okay. And, but you guys came here to talk about this issue. So let's get back to it. Um, wow. Okay. So, so when, just like when I said about the beard policy and the haircut policy, it's not about policy. It's bigger than policy. We have to take a look at the, the, the fundamental issue, not the symptom. Okay. So are we treating this condition correctly? Um, this way people are correctly, are we viewing it correctly from a, a global perspective, the way that we treat people, the way that we acknowledge these, um, ways that people feel about themselves. Um, now, if you can get disqualified from the military, and we, I just I'm just offline emailing somebody last week or two weeks ago about when they were a kid, they had been diagnosed with depression after having a hard time joining the military. Maybe they're better now. 
depression, if you're diagnosed with depression, you have a very, very low likelihood of ever getting accepted into the military. You have to, you would have to get waivers. You would have to get statements. You would have to prove that you're good now. It is like, it, it just flags all these issues. Do I believe that we've kept people, good people out of the military because of, you know, maybe overly strict regulations regarding who can get in? Yes. Am I 100% sure people lie to join the military to get medical care and surgeries and treatments and all this stuff? Yes. Am I 100% sure people do not disclose medical conditions and things because they just want to get in there and, and get the, uh, and get the, the health, the, the, the health benefits and just, or, or maybe just serve? Yes. That happens all the time. You guys, that happens daily, daily. Okay. And shocker. Are you guys ready for this one? Transgender people have been serving in the military for decades. Maybe, you know, I don't know how far this goes back, but probably since the inception of the United States military, there's been transgender people serving. So this would not be anything new. The only thing is that now people can do it publicly. Think back. Not that long ago, don't ask, don't tell was a policy. It, it just brings me to my knees. Honestly, I could cry right now thinking of all the great service members that whose lives we destroyed or, or, you know, that we, that we persecuted because they were gay in the military. It like, oh, it's really cuts deep to me. You know, I remember there was a kid on the, when, when I, I was a kid, this other kid was a kid. We were just kids. We were kids, teenagers. On the USS Ronald Reagan, Scotty, if you're listening, let me know if, if, uh, if I'm getting this correct, okay, if you remember this, or if anybody else here served on the Reagan with me. There was a kid, I don't know if he was Hawaiian or, or what. They called him Special K because his name was like 35 letters long, and it was kind of a jacked-up nickname because it was meant to be derogatory because he was gay, and he was very overtly gay, but this was still in the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But he would walk around. He was always looking sharp. You know what I'm saying? This guy had style. He had, you know, I, I believe he would have like some light makeup on. He would just, you know, he was not in the closet, so to speak. I hope I'm being, I, I mean to be respectful with all of this, by the way. I am a huge ally supporter of all of this. So if I, if anything I say sounds, you know, offensive or cringe or, or I'm, I'm mis, you know, misusing pronouns or whatever, just let me know in the comments. It's not my intent. So, um, uh, so he would get really mistreated. And I remember one day, uh, special K just kicked some dude's ass. Like somebody was just mouthing off to him about being gay, about being, you know, sweet or whatever, fancy. And this dude just beat the crap out of some other guy. And I think that was the last time anybody ever, uh, shit talked him and, or maybe it wasn't, but he was a good dude. And he just got, Scotty says, yes, remember him. It was sad just ragged on him, just like gave him a hard time. And I've seen it happen to so many other people. And there's, you know, a huge population of, you know, gay and lesbian service members. You see them on the ship back when it was don't ask, don't tell. They would be, you know, they would have relationships with, you know, other women, other men. And, and they still had to live under the shadow of this don't ask, don't tell policy, which was horrible. It's something that nobody would ever want to be subdued to, but we did it with, you know, we were so comfortable doing this to people uh, as far as a policy goes to the military for so long, like 200 years. And it was, it, it's so, it, it, if you look back on it, it's so ignorant, right? We know now, we know now it's so ignorant. And is transgender service members going to be the next thing that we look at, at back at and go, that was so ignorant. We at, let's just, Everyone just, you know, if you're anti this policy, just think, are, are we going to go back and view this as the next thing that we look back on and go, oh yeah, we had that all wrong. Let me catch up on the chat real quick. Cause this is going to be a long story. So Justin says there could be factors I don't know about, but to me, it's similar to don't ask, don't tell. Meaning as long as the trash gets taken out at the end of the day and it doesn't affect the mission completion. Okay. So Kind of like what I was hitting, hitting at with the don't ask, don't tell. Larry D says, bad idea. Anybody that served knows what can happen. Larry D, what can happen? Um, Justin says, the biggest question, are they deployable? If yes, then they are good. If not, then they are not fit for full duty. I agree. 
Scotty, so Larry D says, I know somebody that deployed on the Reagan and VFA 22 between 2005 and 2008. Oh, I, I would have been on the deployment at the same time. So I was on a 2006 Westpac, and I checked into the ship in 2004 and checked out in 2006. Doc says, uh, one team, one fight. Hell yeah, one team, one fight. So so look, um, the, the idea that being transgender makes you somehow less able to serve, let me debunk that now in two ways, okay? The first way is I'm going to tell you about somebody that I served with in Afghanistan in 2009 on that detainee ops deployment, somebody who was one of the few, one of the few people on that deployment who pulled their weight, okay? I'm talking 10% of the people there did 90% of the work, okay? And this was one of those people, last name Weber. She was a female, okay? She had short hair. She was a short girl. She was uh, a hard charger, okay? Good person. We worked together every day for a long time. Soldier. Now, his name is Steve Weber. Post-op, transition to a man. Now living a life, has a relationship, all around good person. And I'm so glad to see him happy. I'm so glad. And if me saying him instead of her and identifying them correctly, if that's meaningful to them, then I am happy to do it. I served right alongside that person every day in, in horrible, shitty conditions, in the hardest job that I ever did in the military. And I want them to live their life as freely and happily as they can because they walked down those hallways with me. All, so many of the people, here's what I find so upsetting. So many of the people who have big problems with this never stepped foot in a combat zone, never set a foot, okay? Many of the other people never donned a uniform, never took that oath. So what, where, do you even, where do you even get off with this idea that you know what's best? Not saying any, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody listening right now. But I'm just saying, you see these people, you know, in the court of public opinion, everyone comes out with all these ideas. You have, you have no right. You don't know. You've ne- you, know you've, you're, you have a right to your opinion, but you don't have a right to tell somebody else how they can live their life. And you don't have the right to tell somebody in the military what's best for the military. You just, because you just don't know. So you should, you know, keep your opinions to yourself and vote and, uh, and don't worry about it. Trust me, okay? Transgender people can serve. Now, now let me come back the other way really quick. We were talking about mental health conditions, okay? If you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you have all these other mental health conditions, schizophrenia, bipolar, manic depressive, the list goes on. Uh, although I might be at the end of the ones that I know. I'm sure the list goes on. OCD, right? You name it. Um, uh, multiple personality. Anyway, anyway, I'm going on a tangent. Um, it, it, all of those issues are disqualifying because what's the very first thing that happens on day one when you ship off to go for your enlistment? Chaos. Like military, you know, sends you right into chaos and disorder and screaming and yelling and high stress and all this stuff. Um, it's the very first thing that happens. It's the first thing that happens. So should we make sure that we're not sending people into situations that they can't handle and they become one of the 22? Because if we're going to be so quick to talk about the 22 and veteran suicide and PTSD and all this stuff, are we really also going to sit here and say that we're not potentially sending people to a you know, into what should be a predictable detrimental outcome. I'm sure at this point, people smarter than me can look at somebody's history and do an interview and do an assessment and say, based on what we know now about veteran suicide and PTSD and anxiety and depression, how these factors stack up, you know, and, and, and compound and one issue, you know, conflagrates another that we should have the ability to decline someone's service if it's in their best interests. And the only pushback I have on this policy would be, and I'm not saying I know that this is happening, but would be if we're knowingly letting people in who shouldn't because they're in a high-risk category for one reason or another to fall victim to alcoholism, drug abuse, domestic violence, suicide, suicidal ideation because of what we're calling progress in the in the transgender service member community. That's my only pushback is, are we going to start pushing people in who we shouldn't, who we shouldn't, honestly shouldn't, because the military is going to possibly cause them serious issues. Military service would cause them serious issues. We have to have that as a serious topic of conversation too. 
if you guys disagree, let me know in the comments, but that's what I think. And let me go back over to the article really quick. Cause we're only, you know, you know, we've only just started touching on this topic. So, you know, ending the transgender ban article says also enhances national security by allowing qualified transgender people to serve in the military. Said Jennifer Dane, executive director of the modern military association of American air force veterans. Biden's executive order is a reminder that our strongest assets are not bombs or jets, but those who serve. That's true. People, you know, people first. That's our best weapon. Then it's your radio. So uh, retired Army Staff Sergeant Patricia King, who deployed to Afghanistan three times before beginning her transition from male to female in November 2015. There's so many people out there already like that. That's what I'm saying. There's so many people out there already serving who are transgender. It makes no sense to start saying now that we can't do this. It's already happening. It's been happening for decades. It's been in the shadow of, you know, the don't ask, don't tell style policy. The transgender community has been told once again that we can serve the nation we love, we can be heroes, and we can belong any, everywhere that life has lived. We have been shown once again that unique perspectives combined with shared ideas make us stronger, King said. Today serves as a reminder that the ignorance of bigotry and hatred of the previous administration has no place in America. So let this be our line in the sand. Let us as a people never be pushed backwards again. For once you have felt the light of the sun on your face and the darkness of the closet will never be expect- acceptable. Those are inspiring words. Um... Monday brought to an end a long struggle for transgender service members that began on July 26, 2017, when former President Donald Trump tweeted transgender individuals would not be allowed to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military, which is interesting because that's not uh, that doesn't align with the policy exactly. Trump said, said the tremendous medical costs and disruption as his reasons for barring transgender people from joining the military. Trump followed up with an August 25, 2017 memorandum banning any transgender people from being recruited into the military. Obviously, uh, that specifically goes along with the doctrine that dictates who can and cannot join. Um, but we talked about the policy at the beginning. Now, let me address the other big hot button issue of transgender people in the military. And this is the one that I hear all the time. And it's probably the one I have the biggest problem with. Actually, really quick, let me check the comments. Just doc, give me a round of applause. I like that. Thank you very much. Whatever it was that I said, Justin says you have a right to your own opinion, but you don't have a right to your own facts. Yeah. Well, you know, while I agree with you, um, you know, it's, it's, there, it's not always so, uh, not everything's always so straightforward as to one set of facts because another set of equally true facts can be contradictory, um, to, to one. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Um, but I agree with your statement, um, in the sense that what I think is everyone should go out and educate themselves, uh, non, um, partisanly, not unbiasedly. So let, let me talk about this really quick. It's the other thing I hate. I hate when I hear this. The argument, I don't want my tax dollars being used to fund somebody's sex change. Oh my God, get over yourself. Let me tell you a story about how much a screw costs in the Navy for a second, okay? You put a screw into a helicopter, you're talking about using $100 right there. The idea that there's so many transgender people serving that the cost of a sex change operation is going to somehow be a, a use of your tax dollars is laughable. It's frankly laughable. So... You drop that. You do me a favor. Do yourself a favor if you want to sound legit with your argument. Is that argument makes no sense? Okay, just so you know, makes no sense. Now, let me tell you something else about that too. There are a number, a myriad of elective surgeries that service members are already eligible for. I got one. I had PRK surgery. People have, you know, I had my eyes corrected with uh, laser surgery. I had my eyes corrected. I had convalescent leave from that. I had my eyes corrected. That surgery cost thousands of dollars and I took a week off of work. And you know what? I re-enlisted for four years. That's called obliserve, obligated service. So a lot of these elective surgeries come along with an obliserve. You either have to have a minimum amount of time left on your contract or be willing to re-enlist for a period of time to meet your obliserve commitment. So if people want to have gender reassignment surgery, I believe would be the, the the term for the process and, you know, start to finish a lot of that I'm sure can go with minimum downtime during the process where they can still, uh, they can still go to work or be light limited duty and serve in some capacity. And then ultimately, uh, you know, go through that entire procedure and then maybe, owe four years back to the military, extend your enlistment for four years. And guess what happens? Guess what happens folks? If you serve and don't meet the commitment, you owe the military for your surgery. You owe the money back. It's a win-win. It would, it would honestly be better. It would cost less 
to get, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I think it would cost less to give someone gender reassignment surgery than to recruit and train another sailor, especially if then you're going to lose the skills. So if somebody is mentally and physically fit for duty and the only thing that they're looking to change is their gender and that this is now a common practice thing and that they've gone through the, the correct channels and doing it the healthy way, it makes the most sense. It's the, it's the best bottom line for the military is retention of sailors who are in critical skill sets and then getting them to extend their enlistment instead of having to recruit and train somebody else. As far as if you're a, if you're a, if you're a, a, a ticker, you know, a, 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 a bell counter or whatever, you know, a, 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 what is it, a bean counter? A bean counter up at like uh, Milpers or something like that. This is probably the best bottom line you can hope for. So that whole argument of, I don't want my tax dollars going to uh, pay for somebody's transgender surgery. I am just so sick of that. That argument means nothing to me. I immediately devalue that. That If you come at me with that argument, I have, I have nothing for you, okay? Now, let me catch up on the chat. Larry D says, on my ship, we had 129 men in engineering birthing and someone that identifies as male but is still physically a female that is showering, changing all in very tight quarters is going to lead someone doing something regrettable Guys did stupid shit to other guys, and you throw someone who's still physically a female just saying, Justin says, it's a saying for uh, objectivism was just paralleling what you were saying either about people having their own opinions. Mm, yeah, so I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, and then Larry D, uh, you know, let's just put this in the category of things we need to get better at is hoping to strive for a time when that type of stuff's not happening, Right. Hopefully we're striving towards, we're going towards a time where we don't have to, the Starship Troopers future, right? The Starship Troopers future where men and women can be in birthings together, they can be in showers together, bathrooms, and not have to worry about raping one another. Uh, I'd like to live in that military. Scotty says, as long as they are identifying as a man or a woman, I would have issue taking orders. I assume you have no issue. I, I assume what you mean is you would have no issue taking orders from somebody who thinks they are a cat, but that's a whole different mental issue. Oh, you would have issue taking orders from somebody who thinks they're a cat, but that's a whole different mental issue. Yeah, maybe. If somebody thinks that they're a... Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm, you know, but that's a good point though, because if somebody thinks that they're like reincarnated George Washington, we've covered uh, people on the show who, like the kid who went missing on the ship and he hid out for a few days and they thought he was overboard, he got kicked out. He thought he had like, elect he could like summon electricity out of his hands and all kinds of weird stuff. So, okay, so I'm getting a, I don't want to get off too much on a tangent here because I just want to bring up one other thing, which is, I think it's called The Imitation Game, the movie about uh, Alan Turing, who cracked the Enigma code in World War II, ending the war years early, saving millions of lives. If you have ever seen that movie or know that story, he was gay. And after saving the fucking world, he gets basically brought up as a criminal for being gay, chemically castrated, and then killed himself. That's how we treated people in World War II. That's how the, that's how the world, that's how people treated people in World War II. Think about that. This guy saved the world. And then they persecuted him for being gay. We haven't come that far from that, to be honest. We barely repeal don't ask, don't tell. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. And we can do way better. And if, if transgender service members are the next, you know, iteration of don't ask, don't tell being, you know, backed off and people becoming more aware and we treat people a little bit more fairly, fairly who are different than us, I think it was called the, the imitation game. So, uh, the guy who cracked the Enigma code in uh, World War II. Check that out, Scotty. If this is just the next iteration of that, then I would love to be at the beginning of that, right? It's got, we've got to start that at some point and kind of figure this whole thing out because this is the world now. Like it or not, if you're against it, like it, this is the world now. So we have to do better. Have to do better. Have to do better. Uh, and if this is the beginning of that, then that's, that's great, I think. And, uh, and like I was saying, if, um, if, if, uh, uh, if somebody has these other risk factors 
that make them not a good candidate for the military and they do get this, let's say somebody's transgender, but they also have been treated for five years for depression, right? And so they get disqualified from military service. We have to stop ourselves from making that a civil rights issue. That's probably the right thing to do. If somebody's been on medication for depression for five years, let's say, and they're transgender and they try to join the military and they get disqualified, and then they say, I got disqualified because I'm transgender, we can't let that happen either because that's, now we're talking about putting people who are high risk, who should not be in the military, in the military, which that's bad, okay? That is probably bad. I'm not for that. So I want everyone to know where I stand on this issue. I'm for, you know, paying for the surgery. I'm for letting people in. I'm not for just saying, regardless of any mental health condition, we should let you in just because you're transgender. I don't think that we have to put a, we have to make sure we're, that people making these decisions are being responsible about it. Otherwise we're going to just add to that 22 a day. We already have a crisis on our hands. The military already has a mental health crisis. So we have to be careful that we're not putting flames on the fire too. Um, but you know, being biased against people because of their gender is not what we should be doing or because they, you know, have gender reassignment surgery or something like that. That's not what we should be doing. There's all kinds of plastic surgery, elective surgery, cosmetic surgery that we don't, you know, discriminate. And that just makes people feel more like, you know, the person that they want to be. And so we need to maintain that standard regardless of our, if you, you know, like it or not, we need to apply that equally to people. So, um, you know, we're getting up to, we're already over an hour on the show and, and I, I do want to get to something else really quick, which is, uh, you know, I need to show you guys two things. Okay. I need to show you guys two things. One is, uh, one is the, um, Navy seal, uh, purple heart, I believe silver star recipient, uh, Kristen Beck, who transitioned after the military, after serving, retiring as a Navy seal, uh, something like 14 deployments and, um, is now, Famously, I believe the documentary on her is, or the book is The Warrior Princess. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think it's worth a read for everybody out there um, to know who this person is. So she is transgender. She's an advocate for transgenders. She is the top of the top special warfare operator, senior chief, Afghanistan deployments, you name it. Um, Purple Heart, everything. Warrior Princess, yep. Go check this out. If this, this one person debunks every argument against transgender people serving in the military, okay? This, and, and for her to, her, for her to put herself out there as a, a pillar of hope for people, a pillar of what a transgender service member can be, I think that's a courageous stand to take. And, uh, I'm a full supporter completely in, on every possible level of that. And, um, and that person, this one person alone, um, debunks every argument against transgender people serving, okay? Should we be careful with letting people in the military if they have other issues that could result in negative consequences, negative outcomes of them joining the military? Yes, of course. Please don't, please don't just jump on the bandwagon and put people in the military who are really going to end up suffering for the fact that they joined. But this argument that, that transgender people can't serve is completely bogus and not coming from a good position uh, good argument in the first place. So now, uh, the last thing that I want to show you guys is, uh, before I get ready for my sign out is this statement from, uh, from the chief of Naval operations today, um, which I need to read. Uh, give me one second here. Sorry. Give me one second while I, uh, I can't read this on the screen. So I have to open it up over here cause I'm blind. Okay, I know you guys can see it, but I can't see it. So here's a statement from the Chief of Naval Operations on, uh, on the repeal of the transgender troop rules, and it says this. Today's policy change eliminates an unnecessary barrier to service and ensures we are able to carry out our mission with the best qualified and most capable sailors, regardless of gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, gender, race, or creed. Simply put, all sailors and applicants for accession, accession to the Navy must be treated with dignity and respect. This policy change is the right thing to do and is another step in ensuring that we continue to recruit and retain the best and the most qualified people. I'm absolutely confident in the ability of all sailors, active and reserve, uniform and civilian, to implement this policy in a manner that both protects the readiness of the force and also upholds values cherished by our service. We will continue to work closely with the Office of the Secretary of Defense to implement the new guidance provided by the Commander-in-Chief on transgender individuals serving in the military. So... With that being said, there will be more to come. 
There will be more news on this on transgender people in the military, but I hope you guys understand my position now. And uh, let me know what you think about it. Do you think that I'm on the right track or do you think that I'm way off? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments down below. As always, uh, if you guys want to support this channel, the Patreon link is in the description down below. That's the best way to become a monthly contributor. If you join as an elite patron on your second month, you're going to get a free t-shirt and it comes with a bunch of other benefits as well. Um, if you want to support in another way, not financially, just invite people. Invite people to watch the show. I would love to, you know, I love when the chat's popping off. I love talking to you guys and answering questions and responding to your feedback. So that would be a great way to do it too. So let me catch up on the chat really quick before we sign out. Justin says, I only see one thumbs up on the video. Let's get everyone in the chat to give a thumbs up and help out the show. Hey, thanks Justin very much. Larry D says the problem with these social engineering policies is they will back and forth depending on who is in the White House. Um, well, Larry, one thing about that is nobody tried to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So, um, or I'm sorry, nobody tried to repeal the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I should say. So we are making progress slow and steady, right? So let's think about the 50-year plan, the 100-year plan, okay? We have to really think about, it's not the world we have now, it's the world we're leaving for the next generation, right? So I hope that this is a step, you know, as it's like watching a stock, okay? If you guys ever watch, if you guys ever play the stocks, if you guys watch the stocks, they go like this. They go up a little bit, then they go down. Then they go up a little bit more, then they go down maybe a lot, then they go up like this, then they go down. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, in a year or two, the trend is a straight line up, okay? I know I just did down, hang on. The trend ends up being a straight line up. If you just go by the peaks, if you go by the peaks, we're always going up, okay? And that's the idea of how we should move our world forward. The little part of the world that I can affect and a little part of the world you can affect, are you making the trend go up or are you one of the valleys? Ask yourself that when you go outside today and when you interact with people, are you an up peak or are you a valley, okay? That's how I like to go approach things, even though I just came up with that right now. Uh, I'm always thinking, am I, am I helping or am I hurting? Am I helping or am I hurting? Did I do anything to make the world a better place today? So with that being said, I see likes pouring in. So I appreciate that you guys. $25 donation today. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That means so much to me, you guys. You being here in the chat means so much to me. I love it. Thank you. This is only the beginning of this week. We got three more shows this week to do. So, um, and, and stand by because I might just appear. You might get a notification on your phone that I'm live. I'm going to be doing some studio renovations this week. So uh, check out the Patreon for that to get big updates on what's going on with the studio. Um, and with that, uh, I thank you guys for being here. Email me at thescuttlebuttshowgmail.com. Find me on all the social medias. Tell me what you think about the transgender military policy. I would love to hear it. With that being said, you guys, I am out for now. <laughs>